guys are a good-looking bunch. Some of you look like you might have stayed up a little too late last night and watched the fight, but uh, I'm sure it was worth your money to stay up that late, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I, I heard who won, and I'm not surprised, but anyway, it's, uh, it's good to see you. Look at the person beside you and say, today's a crossroads for me. You know, the interesting thing about crossroads is it means that you got a choice to make. Did you come to stay the same or did you come to go home different? That's the crossroads you're at because God wants to change you. God wants to do something in your life today. Whether you believe it or not, he does. And so you're at a crossroads. And the text we're going to study this morning, I think, is one of the biggest crossroads in all of church history. In Acts chapter 15, if things had gone differently, you and I wouldn't be here. If Acts 15 didn't happen the way it happened, you wouldn't be here. And so the reality of it is, is they were at a major crossroads for the church, just like we are today, really, and just like you are in your spiritual journey. And so today we are at a crossroads just as they were at a crossroads, and we got to think carefully about the decisions and choices that we make, because I want to make the one that God is going to honor, and I think you do too, right? So did you come to be changed? Y'all getting better at this. Did you really, though? Seriously? And you got up this morning and you said, you know what? I'm going to go to church. God's going to show up and he's going to wreck my life and I'm going to be so different. I bet you had that thought, right? Or you were slapping at the alarm clock trying to crawl out of bed. It's okay if you did that because I kind of did the same thing. Uh, but here's what I want you to know. If you'll prepare your mind and prepare your heart right now for what the Spirit wants to do, God's going to change you. God's going to change you. It's not a might, it's a going to happen. So let's look at Acts chapter 15, in case you hadn't figured it out, that's where we're going to be today. I kind of broke this down into different sections. I'm going to preach it just a little different than I have historically preached in the past. And uh, so we're going to kind of work our way through the text slowly, methodically, and in a very boring way. <laughs> I'm teasing you guys, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I might yell at you a little bit, but don't get mad at me. It's just really, really good text. Acts chapter 15. Let's read the first three verses together. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that's, that's, that means they had a pretty big fight over this, no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So this had gotten so bad that they decided, well, we got to go talk to the main man, the, the people in Jerusalem, to find out who's right about this argument. Like, you ever had an argument you just and you went to someone thinking they were going to take your side, they were going to pick your side, only to find out they didn't pick your side? <laughs> That's miserable, isn't it? Like, my kids do that all the time. I think it's hilarious. Like, my oldest son will come up, and he's like, Mom, or Dad, not Mom, that'd be weird, but Dad, Dad. Wyatt did this, my youngest son, Wyatt, Wyatt did this. And I'm like, well, what did you do? And he'll, well, nothing. <laughs> yeah, right, right? Like, we always want to pick a side. Like, it, it, even in our lives, in churches, outside of church, it's always pick a side. You see it rampant in America now. You see it in the world today all around us. Pick a side, pick a side, and pick a side. Well, there's really only one side to pick if you're actually a believer. There isn't your side, their side, it's only his side. And then if you try to pick your side or their side, then you're going to go wrong because you picked the wrong side. 
It's only his side. But I think picking a side actually comes from a pretty good place. I think it's a good thing. It's just when we pick the wrong one that we have a problem. And see, the whole argument here, the whole argument that's happening here is how do you belong to the family of God? It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of important. I mean, you might want to know why you belong to the family of God, right? Like why you're saved, how you get saved, all of the process, right? That's kind of important. Like you might want to know those kind of things. If you're a Christian, you should be nodding your head. Yes, I want to know those kind of things, right? And so the whole argument, the whole argument, the whole big fight, the stink that's going on in the church is about whether or not certain people belong to the family of God. And whether you believe it or not, we do the same thing today. Because we all want to be accepted. Like, I want to be a part, don't you? I mean, does anybody, did you walk into the church this morning going, you know what, I don't really want to be a part of this. I don't want anybody in there to like me. I don't want to be accepted. In fact, I want them to look at me and just with disgust on their face. Like, I don't want them to accept me. I don't want to feel like I belong. I want to feel like an outsider. Like, right, we all want to be accepted. I want to be accepted. I mean, when I preach, I want you to like me, right? Like, that's natural, right? And so being accepted is a good thing. Wanting to be accepted is a good thing. But wanting to be accepted by a side other than his side is a bad thing. Because then what you will do is you will restructure your life to get approval from men instead of approval from God. And that's a really, really tragic error, and we see it in the church. Like some of the greatest struggles, I think, some of the most difficult relational issues we have is because we pick a side. Like husbands and wives, let me just, let me just go there for a minute. If you would pick his side, it would be a lot easier to love your wife and get on her side. There's always going to be a good amen from my wife on that one. And vice versa, ladies. Because the gospel isn't focused on you, it's focused on him. And when you focus on him, you can love everyone. That's just the truth. And so acceptance, belonging, being a part is directly tied to the gospel. It's directly tied. You can't separate it. You can't pick it apart. You can't change it. You can't do anything to, to make it fit your mold. It's interesting to me. It's so very interesting to me how we put stipulations on God about who can belong to his family. Right? Like, did you catch the word unless? Unless they are circumcised, they cannot be saved. It's a salvation issue. And the funny thing is, is don't we do the same thing? I mean, it's like, well, if they would do this, no. Well, if they would get this part of their life, to, no. Well, maybe they should do, no. You don't get to say who gets saved and who doesn't. You don't get to put stipulations on his salvation. Because it's not yours. And the whole argument here is about salvation. Unless they do what Moses said, they cannot be saved. So it's a direct insult into the saving work of what God has done. Think about that for a minute. Think about how serious that is. But we do the same thing. For them it was circumcision. It was about Gentiles being circumcised like the Jews. 
But for us, it's, well, do they think like I think? Do they have the same political views that I have? Do they look like me? Are they from the same region I'm from? Do they talk like me? Do they sound like me? Are their skin color the same as mine? And we have all of these stipulations that that group can't be saved because, well, they don't look like me. Do people really need to be a replica of us to be loved by us? Like, seriously, isn't the gospel greater than that? Isn't that what Paul is arguing here? Like, I would get pretty upset if you walked up to me and said, well, God's not going to love them because they don't believe just like you do, Keith. Now, I understand. I'm not saying they can go and believe just anything. But I am saying if they believe Jesus Christ came to this earth, died and rose again, and that his blood buys their salvation, then I have no right to add stipulation. And neither do you. And that's exactly what the Jews were doing. These men that came down from Judea were raising a stink because they didn't think they should be saved. Oh, man, I hope that's not like us. But I, let's, just for the sake of it, I know y'all probably know this, but let's just rehearse this for a minute. So this is how this salvation thing works, right? You were bad, just like me, really bad. You were an enemy of God. In other words, you didn't like God. It's not that God didn't love you. You didn't love God. So God says, well, I need to fix that. So he sends his son in your place to die on that cross in your place, to be rose from the grave in your place so that you could be reconciled to him. You don't get to add anything, change anything about any of that. And the good news is you don't want to because we're bad and we'll mess it up. That's salvation, and it belongs to the Lord. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's his. And if you pick a side other than his, then you're picking wrong. Pick a side. You just got to be careful which one you pick. But isn't it true? I mean, don't we do that in church? Like, well, they should believe like me. I mean, they should, they should really have the same opinions I have. I mean, we got all this stuff going on in our world. They should think just like I should. They should be a Republican. No, they should be a Democrat. No, maybe they should be a liberal. Maybe they should be right. Maybe they should be left. Maybe they should be a, there's no way a Christian could be a Democrat. <laughs> right? You laugh because it's funny, but it's true. That's how we behave. The gospel is bigger than a political party. I'll move on. I know what you're going to say. You're going to be like, look, pastor, we know this. Like, I'm a Christian. I know this. Like, I get it. I've been in church for 30 years. I know the gospel's bigger than Republican or Democrat. I know it's bigger than race, and I know it's bigger than opinions, and I, I know that. Well, so did they. Verses 4 and 5, let's read them. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. It's funny to me that we, get, we act like it's prideful to talk about how God uses you. But they don't seem to have a problem with that in the New Testament. You ever notice that? Like we, we're like, now listen, I want to make sure you understand this is not Keith. Keith did not do this. God did all of this. Like we get all this really weird voice and we're really careful to make sure. But Paul walks in, look, God did this for me. Like here's, this is not in my notes. 
it's okay to be excited about how God uses you. And it's not prideful. Okay? That's, that's not over there. I'll show you my notes later if you don't believe me. But it's, it's, anyway, let's keep going. Let's keep going. But some believers, say believers. believers. Now say you and me. Okay. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Right there it is. In verses 4 and 5. Believers. Party of the Pharisees. Bible-believing. God-following. Disciples praying Worshippers, champions for Christ, right there it is. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you don't go and change the stipulations. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not picking a side. Just because you read your Bible, you attend church, that you worship the true God, that you follow the rules and you do everything right, doesn't mean... That you got it right. How easy it is to pick a side and never realize we did it. How easy it is. But see, the thing is, is they're not any different than us. We're just, we're really just like them, right? Like you read your Bible, you come to church, you pray, you worship, you give thanks to God, you pay your tithes, you do all of these things, right? And you're a good Christian. You're a believer. Fantastic. But they're just like us. There's no distinction. We're just the same. And so it's interesting to me at how when you become a Christian, you stop rehearsing the gospel in your own life and start trying to fix the gospel in other people's lives. Like, isn't that true? Like, you forget what God did for you, but you're quick to point out how somebody else needs to get God to do something really big in their life, right? Right? Y'all should have said amen, because I know every one of you thought about, yeah, I wish God would fix that person, because they are messed up. <laughs> right? All of you did it. Don't try to act like you didn't. You should try to write a sermon. You get a whole list of people when you're writing a sermon, man. You just pause in that, and you're like, I'm going to write these names down. I've got to pray for these people. That was a joke. I didn't really do that. My office is locked. You can't go up there and look. I'm teasing you guys. It's true, though. No matter how long you've been a Christian, it really is helpful to stop and daily remind yourself of what the gospel means in your life, what the good news means for your life, because really what is at stake in this church is the good news. Because the good news ceases to be good news when you put stipulations on your salvation. It is only good news because the only stipulation was met by Jesus himself. And when you start changing that, guess what? You strip it of its goodness. So there is a ton at stake. We need to remember the gospel. We need to recall the gospel. Do you realize that as believers, we fail to do this consistently? When was the last time you just sat down and reflect about what God has saved you from? Like where you really sat down and you were like, whoa, like I should be burning in hell. Like that's what I really deserve. 
Like, I really don't measure up. Like, I started out talking about acceptance. I really am unacceptable. I really am filthy. And then you realize that the cross has saved you from that. That is what they're arguing about. Circumcision isn't going to clean up a Gentile. It isn't going to make them more acceptable to Jesus or God. It's not going to fix the problems. You can wear all the right clothes to church and still be a filthy rag on the inside. We're more worried about you looking like you should look than being who you should be. And the thing is, is the only way you can be who you need to be and look like you should look is to have Jesus in your heart. Amen. Do you know what the law, listen, let let me help you out. You know what the Old Testament law is about. You know the law in the Old Testament is not about what you should do, right? I know you probably never heard that in church. The point of the law in the Old Testament is not to give you a bunch of you need to do's. It's to get you to understand how desperately and how dependent you are on Jesus Christ. That's the point of the law. The law is to go, you can't do it, but he did. The law is only meant to reveal your desperate need of salvation. And until that echoes in the hallways of our hearts and silences out every other sound, we need to fall on our knees and ask God to remind us daily of the gospel that has saved our soul. Like, we need that. We need to stop listening to pick a side, pick this side, pick that side, and let the gospel echo in the hallways. Because when that happens, you don't feel compelled to pick a side. You feel just compelled to fall on your knees with great gratitude and say, God, if it were not for you, you're not the solution to the world. That should relieve you a little bit. You ain't got to fix it. You can't fix it. I don't want to fix it. Because my fix will just mess it up more. But I believe that we really think we have the solutions. Amen. See, here's what happens when we fail. Like recalling the gospel in your life. Has, when, when you fail to do that, it has very adverse consequences. Like, it may be a simple thing, but when you fail to do it, it has major implication. Because when you fail to do it, the thing that's going to happen is you're going to begin to apply standards to your life and other people's lives that cannot be met. You ever felt like you were constantly disappointing somebody? It's miserable. You ever feel like you're constantly a disappointment to God? Like you just don't measure up, right? We talked about acceptance. Well, the opposite of that is not measuring up, not being accepted, not being good enough. The law will never bring you life, and keeping the rules will never bring life to you. Jesus is the one who brings life, not the law. You could get it all right, and you're still not going to be alive. Paul kept the law. He still was not alive. He still was not acceptable. I 
I know why we do it. I know, listen, I know why we do it. I get why you want to keep the rules. I know because if, if God likes you doing A and you do more of A, then God's going to like you more. And that's how the world operates, right? Like you go to work and your boss likes you to do, you know, file things properly. You file things properly, you get a promotion. That's not the kingdom way. That's not God's way. That's a stipulation that you've applied from a world onto a kingdom that isn't like this world. It's so true. Why are we doing this to ourselves and to others? I mean, I, I, I know God wants holiness. I get that. God wants righteousness. God wants good things. God, God wants so much for you. I get that. But the day you try to live up to all that God wants, you're going to find out you're a failure. Every time. Every single time I've tried to live up to God's standard, I fail miserably. Because I can't do it. But Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And that's what's at stake. That's what they're arguing about. Did Jesus really live up to all of God's standards? And if he did, then you and I have a great reason to rejoice. Because Jesus meets the standard. And you don't have to. That's the whole point of him taking your place. The standards you couldn't meet, he kept. The rules you couldn't follow, he followed. The holiness you couldn't give to God, he gave to the Father. The righteousness that you can't earn, he made possible. It's not because of rules and legislation and regulations and all of these other things that we can conjure up and do. It's because of the cross of Calvary. That's what's at stake. I get why Paul was mad. I'd fight over this too. Have you just, just think about this for a minute. God is pleased with you. Not because you perform the right way, but because Jesus performed for you. Think about it. Like, like that should level us. Like we should be on the floor crying like babies. Like God, the one that made the eclipse, right? Like everybody's like, ooh, ah, over the eclipse. But when did you ooh and ah over your salvation? Because your salvation is greater than the eclipse. See, God is pleased. God does approve. God gets holiness and righteousness. And that's great news because he gets it in Jesus. And we don't have to measure up. And until we stop applying those stipulations to others and to ourselves, we will continue to wear a yoke around our neck. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. And God, who knows the heart, tap yourself right here and say, He knows. So stop trying to fool Him. He knows. God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit 
just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Having cleansed their hearts by faith, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Now this is Peter. They've gone down and presented their case and you know, some of the Pharisees parties, they're kind of arguing there at the church in Jerusalem. And Peter stands up. I like Peter. I like Peter because I kind of feel like Peter sometimes. Like, Peter's like, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And then he sits, sticks his foot right in his mouth, right? Like, that's Peter. I kind of relate to the guy. But I like the fact that he takes a stand and he calls out a double standard. I love that. Peter's like, have you lost your mind? You Jews, have you gone bonkers? Are you crazy? Like you're telling them to keep standards that you can't keep yourself. Isn't that what we do in church? Well, when they look like me, then I will love them, and then Jesus will love them, and you can't even keep Jesus happy yourself. That's what he's saying. Peter's like, you lost your mind. And not only have you lost your mind, but here's what you're actually doing. Those stipulations that you're applying to whether they're saved or whether they're not saved, you're not testing them to find out if they're a good Christian. You're testing God to see if God is actually who he says he is. That's what it says. So the next time you go and judge someone based on whether or not they fit your mold, you better ask yourself, well, do they have the Spirit? Because that seems to be the standard. Because if they have God's spirit, then that means God approves. Whether you approve or not, it's irrelevant. Unless you want to go toe-to-toe with the big man. And I'll pay to watch that fight. That's going to be a quick one. I don't know if that would be considered a love offering or a tithe. I worry about myself sometimes. <laughs> See, the reason that tests God is because you're applying a standard to them that God himself didn't apply. The only one that can apply any standard to you rightly is God. It's true. It's just, it's just a fact. But we're bad at this in the church, man. We're so bad at this. Like, I love what that video said that, you know, we label people. Label them. Like, there's no way that person could be a brother or sister. I mean, look at them. They're living on the street. They haven't had a bath in a week or a month. Like, there's no way that that person could be my brother or sister. But it's funny when God gets involved and he's like, that standard's not going to apply because you're going to love the way I told you to love. And then God does this amazing thing in you. And he shows you, yeah, they are your brothers. Yeah, they are your sisters. In spite of their differing opinions, in spite of their different political views, in spite of all the distinctions, you're the same because you have the same spirit. We really got to get, if, if we're going to get anything right, we got to get salvation right. This is critical to church. If they had got this wrong, you and I would not be here. I know God's at work, and I get it. The gates of hell are not going to prevail. I understand that there's a bigger picture to this. But the reality is, is if they got it wrong, 
we would be in trouble. That's how big this chapter is. It's really the turning point in Acts. It's about to get crazy. Like, y'all thought it was crazy in the first 14. You ain't got a clue. Like, the world's about to get flipped. See, here's, here, here's what's interesting to me. The Jews are saying to the Gentiles, listen, you need to be circumcised in order to fit in. You're not a part of the family if you don't do this. And so, it's really fascinating to me at how there's, there's no distinction between them, but then the very thing that the Jews are saying is the thing that makes God's people distinct, at least in their mind. And so, the importance of that is really, really simple. Because what was happening is the Jews were offending the Gentiles by saying, you don't belong. But the Gentiles were offending the Jews by how they behaved. Fascinating. You ever been offended? <laughs> Have you ever been offended in the last 30 minutes? <laughs> like seriously, it's like, man, you can't turn your TV on. Somebody's offended at something. I'm offended that the grass is green. Well, wait till winter. But everybody's offended at something. But the funny thing is nobody is the offender. But the funny thing about this text is the Jew was offended and the offender and the Gentile was offended and the offender. So let me just get something straight here. You're an offender and you're offended. It's a reality. Because when you pick a side, you can only do one thing, and that's offend the other side. And what's the other side do? Well, it's offensive to you, so you're offending and offended. It's so true. It's exactly what is happening here. You know what the absurdity of offense is? Is that when you pick a side, you have no other options. But when you pick his side, offense ceases. Oh, now I see I upset some of you. You know how I know, but you're like, Pastor, what about truth? Like there's truth. Your political views are not truth. Your opinions and your preferences, they're not truth. Reality is, look around you. We different. Some of y'all dress really different. I'm just saying. We different. When are we going to stop applying God's standards to our opinions? His standard is his. Our opinion is ours. It might do us some good in the church to keep our opinion to ourselves. And just start living out the truth that he's given us. Because here's what we do. We like to carry the hammer of truth without having the heart of Jesus. But you don't get the hammer of truth till you have the heart of Jesus. Because when you carry the hammer of truth and you start donking people on the head with it, guess what happens? You offend them. And you actually create distance between them and Jesus. And you were never meant to create distance. You were meant to shrink the distance between people and Jesus. And when your opinions and your politics get in the way of shrinking that distance, you have picked the wrong side. 
Now, I know you're like, yes, but pastor, you're not saying we shouldn't tell them the truth, are you? No, I'm not saying that at all. But what the Bible I read says truth frees people. It doesn't bind them. And if your truth is binding and putting a yoke around your neck or someone else's neck, then it's not the truth. They shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free. And we know who the truth is. His name is Jesus. And when you leave with Jesus as a rescuer and a reconciler and a healer instead of the one who's going to condemn you, then guess what's going to happen? People will be freed because it's not about your opinions any longer. you got to stop trying to get conformity before you get transformation. Because Jesus didn't come to get conformity. If he wanted conformity, all he's got to do is clip his fingers, flip his snap, whatever. Whistle. (laughs) Blink his eyes. Stomp his foot. I couldn't get his fingers. (laughs) Hey, we different. (laughs) The comic relief is free, but y'all should should give a love offering. Discover life. I'll plug it. There you go. You realize the gospel isn't yours. It's good news for you, but it's not good news for you to keep. Right? Like if you think you can have the gospel and keep it and be stingy with it, you don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel, the reality of the gospel is it's for every political party, every nation, every race, every opinion, every ideal. It's for everybody. It's not just for you and who you decide that it's for. Because guess what? Some people may have decided it wasn't for you. Like, we don't get to just grab the gospel and go, nope, this is mine. You can't have it. The gospel is meant to heal. I understand, listen, offenses are real. I get it. I've been offended. I get it. And they carry a ton of emotions with them, right? I get that. Like, when you get offended, you've got some emotion behind it. Fine. But the issue with offense is really simply this. Does you let the offense order your life or are you going to let the gospel give orders to your life? Who's giving the marching orders in your life? Your offenses Or the gospel. Because that's what's at stake. Verse 19. Listen, the reality is, offense. I'm not sitting up here telling you don't get offended, because that's ridiculous. You're going to get offended. And at times you're going to be offensive. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying don't let the offense or being offensive give the marching orders. Verse 19. Now James stands up. Now James, you've got to understand something about James. James is, he's like the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Like this dude, he's like the boss, right? Like he's, the man is about to speak, right? And this is what he says. Therefore my judgment is, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. See, you got to understand, James is like a Jew's Jew, right? Like, James, if he's going to pick a side, he's going to pick the side of the Jews, right? That's the side he would pick. But what he does here is he doesn't pick the side of the Jews and he doesn't pick the side of the Gentiles, 
What he does is he picks the side of the gospel and the result is an amazing unity that follows. Because when you pick the side of the gospel, the result will always be unity. Where there is disunity, there is someone picking a side other than his. That's just the reality. That's just the truth. So the Jews were more concerned about the Gentiles. And, and so the issue that we got to deal with is reconciliation. How do we get the Jews and the Gentiles to get along? How do we as Christians get along with the rest of the world? How do we as Christians get along with believers that don't look like us and think like us? Well, it's really not that complicated. Not at all, really. See, the point of verse 19 is this. We see that initially the argument is about how we're reconciled with God. And once you get that right, the next thing that has to be dealt with is, well, how are we reconciled with each other? How does that happen? And, and what, what's happening here, James is like, all right, now listen, you Jews have got to stop applying these stipulations to the Gentiles. It's offensive to them. And then what he says is, you Gentiles... You need to stop doing some of the things you're doing because it's offensive to the Jews. Now, why would he do that? Because he's trying to help them understand that, yeah, you might be offended, but you're also an offender. Now, do something about it. Change it. Now, listen, I get it. It goes all the way back to acceptance. I know, well, if I change this, is God going to like me more? No, that's not the point. You change because you've been accepted. You don't change to be accepted. Right? God has already accepted you. Now start changing. It's funny, when you talk about reconciliation, that word, I love that word. Like, I just love that word. You know why I love that word? Because I looked it up this week. And you know what's cool about that word? It has two meanings that I want to point out. It has to do with a restored relationship. I think you get that. Hopefully I've done a good job there. But it also, listen, this is really cool. I'll read this. Reconcile means to make one account consistent with another, especially for transactions begun but not yet complete. Oh, that's good. See, we're striving toward unity. The transaction has begun. It's not done yet. Guess what? When you get to heaven, this ain't going to be an issue. It's not going to be an issue. Because your opinion ain't going to be an opinion. Think about that for a minute. It's when one transaction is made consistent with another transaction. What does the cross do for us? That transaction makes us consistent with Jesus. And when that happens, guess what? We may be different, but we're not distinct because you and I belong to something bigger than us. We got to let the distinctions die and see that we're all the same so that we can have a consistent account of reconciliation. You are always meant to be a reconciler. Always. And that's exactly 
what Peter, James, Paul, Barnabas, that's why they went to Jerusalem because they knew this was important enough to shrink the gap between Jews and Gentiles that it had to take place. What are you doing in your life to shrink gaps? What are you doing in your life to shrink the gaps? you got family you won't talk to because they've been offended by you. You won't talk to your wife on the way to church because she said something that hurt your feelings. You won't ask your kids any questions because you're afraid you're going to upset them. What are you doing to shrink the gap when you understand that Jesus has reconciled your life? You can't do anything else but begin to shrink the gap and reconcile with the people in your life. Let your differences and your distinctions die at Calvary. You can't pick a side other than His side. That's why Jesus came. That's what the gospel is all about. We have been reconciled our relationship has been restored with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of everything. we got to stop making this so difficult. What if you love the unlovable? What if you reached out to the ones that everybody else is walking by? What if you did that? Maybe, just maybe, God will reconcile someone to himself. Pastor Bradley talked about how God is on a mission. Well, the way you get in on that mission is you see that your point of your life is to be an instrument of reconciliation. The problem is, is for most of us, we're just unsettled. I want to read you something, and I'm going to wrap up. Praise team, y'all come on. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to me. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, talking about those guys that came down from Judea that started all of this mess, and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Maybe you came in, came in today and your mind is unsettled. Maybe you got some stuff going on in your life. Maybe you grew up in church. All of the things. You know, you, you come in, you just feel like you don't belong. Nobody loves you. You're not accepted. You're not a part of this. You just, you know, you just show up to church just because, well, that's what good Christians do. Here's what I want you to know. You can be settled in your mind. You can be assured of certain things. And God wants to assure you. He wants you to be settled on the fact that He has reconciled you and that He has put purpose in you and power in you to reconcile with others it's time that we get settled that we lay down the stipulations the regulations that we've applied in our own lives and that we've applied to the others well when they apologize to me then I will forgive them no you forgive because you've been forgiven you love because you've been loved you reconcile because you've been reconciled you seek because you were sought you find because you've been found we are meant for more, but we will never do more until we are settled with this thing. We've been coming to church and doing it for so long, being unsettled. Well, today, all that God would wreck us and that He would settle us and in the hallways of our hearts, the only sound that would beat is the sound of grace. 
God Himself has met His own standards and you are accepted and He is pleased and He loves you no matter what you do. It's time that we get settled on that. Jesus lived His life not for His own benefit, but for yours. Jesus died on the cross for your benefit. And when He said it was finished, He didn't say get a few things right and then come find me. He said it's finished, I have come and I will find you. He didn't die so that you could get it right and then come. He died so that He could come to you and then maybe, just maybe through His power, you'll get a few things right. It's time that you realize your acceptance isn't based on what you can do. It's based on what He did. And when you get that right, you will pick no other side but His own. Because all you can do by seeing that rightly is come crawling to the cross and bow at the feet of a king who bled for you. His love for you isn't based on you. Will you stand with me?